I'm hey, Phoebe. I'm Ashley. Oh. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get it right someday. Yes. She's Phoebe. And she's Ashley. And this is Early Departures, the podcast where we talk about your vacation nightmares. Hey, everybody. I think you are taking me on a trip somewhere. Yes. So we are going to a island we have frequented before, hmm. but under different circumstances. Okay. In 2018, Peter and Lynn Crouch, they're both in their mid-50s, like 54, 55, mm-hmm. were spending their Christmas holiday abroad in the Dominican Republic. Okay. They left their home in Essex two weeks before Christmas for an extended trip. Hmm. So they were having a great trip until December 23rd, when Lynn woke up in the middle of the night feeling extremely ill. She was like super tired, lethargic. I guess tired and lethargic are the same thing. Well, I don't know. Tired is like, oh man, I'm kind of sleepy. Lethargic is like, I can't move my body. I'm so yes. So she felt lethargic, nauseous, dizzy, just Mm. not feeling well. And she headed down to the front desk. And it was when she hit the front desk that she started vomiting everywhere. And they immediately called for an ambulance and took her to uh, the Centro Medico Punta Cana Medical Center. Okay. And she arrives at the hospital pretty sick. Her husband, Peter's close by her side and claims that as soon as they left this hotel, it was one medical issue, one admin issue after another. Hmm. So when Peter and Lynn show up, Lynn is diagnosed with, oh, I'm going to butcher this, entomibia histolic, hmm. which is a pathogenic amoeba that would be like an intestinal parasite or bacteria. Yeah, You're getting in on the parasite game, I see. <laughs> Maybe. Uh-oh. So, but Peter says, like I said, it was just kind of like one mishap after another before yeah. they even diagnosed her with that. They had to spend $2,000 to determine that she wasn't pregnant. Oh, my God. Now, like I said earlier, they're like in their 50s. Oh. And I think she could be probably pretty confident, like, you guys, I'm not pregnant. Yeah. So she's in the hospital. Peter's staying by her side. And the following day is Christmas Eve. And these large purple blotches start to form all over her hands and her arms and her legs. And in the photos, you can see... Them like just covering her fingers and her hands. Mm. It's like you ever seen like an, an elderly person where like the capillaries kind of burst. Yeah, it was like that, but even worse. They were dark purple, and in one of the photos, you can see her wedding ring is just the skin around it's like bulging, like oh, she's kind of puffy, got the swollen skin, yeah. and all this discoloration. And at that point, the doctors change her diagnosis to meningococcina mia. Probably butchered that too. <laughs> Some doctors is, out there listening right now just crying. They're like, God, these women are awful. Uh, but it was a virus associated with meningitis. Okay. So it's the meningococcal memia something. It's in that family of meningitis. Okay. So at this point, now they think she has meningitis based on some of the other symptoms she's having. And anyone who knows about meningitis is extremely, extremely infectious, spreads quickly. Terrifying. Yes, terrifying. So at that point, the hospital puts her into a quarantine and they transfer her to a larger hospital in the capital of Santo Domingo. Mm -hmm. With Lynn on her way to another hospital, Peter is on his own drive for five hours in a taxi. They They pretty much said to him, like, you're on your own Mm. to get to where they're transferring Lynn. They didn't let him go with her. Jeez. So... 
poor guy has to sit in a taxi for five hours, has to out of pocket spend the money to get there. Yeah. One nightmare after the next. Mm-hmm. Peter spends a heartbreaking Christmas. Because at this point, they went to the hospital on the 23rd. It is now Christmas Eve, December 24th. Uh-huh. Peter spends a heartbreaking Christmas Eve watching his wife's condition deteriorate while fighting to organize an airlift to Miami. At oh. this point, he's like, I want yeah. out of here. I want to get to the... They weren't from the States, but he wants to get to the States for healthcare. He's able to organize the flight obtain visas for them to get to the States. And eventually, when the helicopter arrives to get them, mm-hmm. they pretty much say, like, she's in such condition, we can't have her fly. Oh, you guys God. are grounded. Which has got to be so heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, one, you're, it's, it's Christmas Eve. You're watching your wife go through this. You're doing everything in your power to get yourself to a place where you feel like you're going to be in better medical care. Yeah. Somewhere he felt more confident in the care he was going to receive. Because he's felt that from the moment they stepped into the health facilities, it was one misstep after the next. Everything's going wrong. Yeah. Yep. So without being able to vacate to Miami, they, they stay put in the hospital. So Peter just... When he wasn't sitting by her side and ho- Lynn's side in the hospital, he sat in the hotel room and just wrote in his diary, which I think is like so sweet that this fifty-four-year-old oh. man is just like writing in his diary. It's like heartbreaking, yeah. really. And like on Christmas Eve or is it Christmas now? Like just sitting by yourself, probably crying a lot. Mm-hmm. That's not at all what you think you're getting yourself into for a Christmas vacation in the Dominican Republic. No, yeah. Not at all. And he he said, I was sitting in the hospital room with Lynn thinking, I'm also going to get meningitis too. Yeah. And at that point, I wanted to die there with her than rather come home alone. So to your point, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. You're alone in a foreign country. Your your wife's going through this medical crisis. And now it's extremely contagious and you're afraid that you're going to get it too. Yeah. And you and you kind of hope you do because you're like, if she's going downhill that bad, I don't want to go home without her. Like, oh, that breaks my heart. I know. So sad. And gosh, Peter and Lynn's journey does like not end there. Mm-hmm. Almost a week of battling the infection, Lynn ended up passing away in quarantine oh. on December 30th on her birthday. Gosh. And that is a long time to have been in the hospital too. Mm-hmm. Like a week? Yeah. Because yeah. she, she went in on the 23rd. So just about a week. Yeah. Mm. Speaking in the hours after her death, Peter said, our Lynn was the most beautiful and amazing and caring person. And throughout Lynn's medical nightmare, doctors believe she had this highly infectious disease being in the meningitis family. Uh-huh. And the travel company they used to book the trip, it was TUI, um, deemed her too infectious for them to send a representative to support Peter in making all these like medical decisions. Because normally, I believe when you go to this company, if things happen because you have travel insurance, they usually provide some kind of guidance on what you should be doing. Uh-huh. All that to say, because as soon as she passed away, neither the doctors nor the travel company thought anything about immediately booking Peter into a popular hotel and then later putting him onto a flight. And he said his mind was just blown because here he's thinking his wife just passed away of meningitis. Uh-huh. He may have it. He's been in an infectious room. And now the travel agency just booked him on a crowded flight back to the UK. Oh, God. And the hospital, whoever else put him into a, you know, busy hotel. Yeah. Because now we're getting close to New Year's. And he's just like, like, what is going on here? And so grieving, fearful of his own health and heartbroken, 
he now has to, he gets back to the UK and he has to figure out now how does he get his wife back to the UK? Mm. So another misstep stabbed Peter's broken heart when Lynn's body finally arrived in the UK on January 7th. But unfortunately, it was accidentally taken to the wrong coroner's office, mm. requiring him to endure another lengthy, lengthy administrative process to have her body sent to the correct location. It's like that's that's one of my fears is I already don't like to deal with administrative paperwork, calling people, all that stuff. And so if. You know, if my husband died before me and like just the thought that I would have to deal with that on top of everything else of like, oh, they sent him to the wrong coroner. Now you have to make a bunch of calls and, you know, spend your time doing that instead of trying to help yourself. Yeah. And it's like we've talked about how he must have felt to get on that flight alone. I mean, this probably wasn't their original flight based on everything that happened. But still, to get on that flight alone, knowing his wife should have been next to him, is just, like, heartbreaking to think about. It is terrible. So, like I said, her body arrives early January back in the UK. Uh On January 23rd, the UK coroners ruled that Lynn had not died of meningitis, Mm. as her Dominican death certificate had claimed, but acute respiratory distress syndrome Hmm. and interstitial nephritis, which basically is like a kidney failure. Huh. So poor Peter, again, has dealt with like misdiagnosis, figuring out what's going on. And from everything I've read, looking at other stories, it's pretty common for people who pass away in other countries to get their own autopsy when they arrive in their home country, which we've uh-huh. talked about. Sure, I would. But after receiving the news that her reason for death was different than what he had thought, the coroner also called Peter to tell him that Lynn's organs were missing. Oh, my God. Peter says, finding out that my Lynn's heart was missing was devastating. Hmm. That's strange. Yes. And I believe part of her heart, liver, lung, and spleen and kidney were not in her body. Weird. When she returned back to the UK. Yeah. Peter says we would never have known if we had not managed to get a second postmortem done in the UK. Sure. If he would, if he just wanted like that closure, mm-hmm. this is what happened. Let's move on. Have the funeral. He would never have known. Or even like um, Liga Scromani that we were just talking about in Kerala, who they just cremated her right away against the orders of the police or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or the court, sorry. But yeah, like you would never know because the body's gone. How mad would you be? Like, Yes. And I feel like I have read several stories about people passing away about when their bodies get cremated before they want to. Or yeah. before, that wasn't the family's wish. And it does totally yeah. mess up. Whatever the afterlife plans that that family had planned for that individual. Yeah. So Peter spent seven months and thousands of pounds to his lawyers and countless phone calls and emails tracking down Lynn's organs. They were finally located by officials at the Institute of Forensic Pathology. Because the authorities in the Dominican Republic could not find the organs for so long, Peter doesn't believe that they are Lynn's organs. He believes her organs were harvested for sale in the black market. Hmm. The UK coroners who did receive her organs after 
the seven-month period, had refused repeated requests to have them DNA tested. Yeah. Which, again, led to Peter's suspicion. Yeah. But what really happened to his wife's organs. Yeah. And he really believes that the organs that were received in the UK were from a stranger. Huh. He said, I just know it's not my Lynn. You can't just find body parts like that all of a sudden after months and months of not knowing where they are. Something's not right. Mm. That's weird. <laughs> I know. I know. But the more I Googled, like, bodies returning home with missing organs, yeah. the more and more headlines I saw where it was, it seems to be kind of, I don't want to say common, but it's not rare. Yeah. Huh. There's a professor, Shepard Hughes, director of medical anthropology at the University of California, world's leading expert in the field. Okay. Organ trafficking falls under human trafficking. So it falls in line with that. And they said that organs are taken illicitly from tourists at an alarming regularity. And it happens a lot. Uh, okay, great. Something else to be afraid of. <laughs> and like I said, well, it was never confirmed if Lynn's organs were taken for the black market yeah. or if they were simply misplaced. You can easily find two or three pages of search results with headlines claiming tourists having been returned home without their organs if they've passed away. Weird. Which, like, you know, if something happens to me, like, I'm an organ donor. If something happens to me and I'm in the hospital in my own town, they're going to take my organs before they pull that life support plug because I don't want it. <laughs> and um, so it's, it would make sense that my organs are gone out of my body. So part of me feels like something happens to you, Dominican Republic, they want to take your organs to transplant them into other people's bodies to save their life i'm like that's okay they should ask your husband or your wife or whoever first mm -hmm. if you're okay with that but i'm like okay that's okay you're using them other people get to live but if it's black market and they're selling them that would be a whole different ball game that i'm not here for <laughs> well so then i went down this like whole rabbit hole of organ trafficking mm -hmm. and i'll dig into that i'll, I'll tell you some stats i read mm -hmm. but that same year in 2018 a british woman amanda gill died in a hospital in mexico just 12 hours after becoming ill uh-huh in the articles online there's a debate on what the cause of death was some says it was ketoacidosis some said it was just natural causes but regardless she was only in the hospital for 12 hours, and when her body returned home to the UK, she was missing several organs also, mm. which made it, again, impossible for the family to do their own post-mortem. Yeah. She was missing her brain, oh. her heart, and her eyes. All right. Well, you don't have to do a brain transplant on anybody, so what's that about? Yeah. And administrators at the hospital where Amanda died said they immediately notified the British embassy to collect her body and she was sealed with all of her organs. But just like Peter, Amanda's sister thinks something very dark is behind her sister's missing body parts. She thinks they may have been taken by criminals mm. who didn't think their family would follow up on the case. Yeah. And then I read some other, there were some other news articles I saw. A 17-year-old German boy went to Malta on vacation. His body came home without its organs. Mm. British tourist returned from Egypt without his heart or his kidneys. Oh, so. That's very weird. I think... The stats in the U.S. are like there's 100,000 people waiting for a kidney transplant a year. Yeah. And there's only 17,000 a year that are performed. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened to Lynn and Amanda. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just like making connecting some dots, 
personally. Yeah. And it was really interesting that Iran has legalized the sale of kidneys. Mm-hmm. So if you needed a kidney, you put your name on a donor list and I could then go offer up my kidney hmm. for sale. Oh, that's so... It's it's sad because like on one hand, you're kind of like, it's your body, you should be able to do whatever you want. But on the other hand, you're like, nobody should ever be so poor that they feel like they have to sell their body parts. So... I also read these articles about people who are poor and taken advantage of. They kind of hold them hostage. Yeah. And then they would take... The kidney is the most common thing to take. Mm. Well, yeah, because you have two of them, so... Yeah, they'd hold them hostage and then take their kidney. And sometimes they'd pay them, sometimes they wouldn't. I also read stories about where people in, you know, more third world countries are offered like five grand for their kidney. And then they take that kidney and sell it to first world countries for like $200,000. Yeah. And there was this whole investigation in Chicago where people were selling kidneys on Craigslist. And they had undercover cop pose as someone looking for a kidney and they connected it to doctors and to people who are willing to sell it and people who are kind of being really shady with it. Imagine how scared of dying you have to be to be somebody who needs a kidney that you would even get involved with somebody from craigslist to get one because like how are you you're not gonna be able to explain to a normal doctor how this new kidney popped up that you want them to put in your body which means you're gonna have to have some shady doctor put this kidney in you <laughs> like mm-hmm. and i don't want somebody from craigslist to be coordinating all that stuff for me <laughs> what? i know uh, but i also know that if i needed a kidney to live and if they were like that'll be two hundred thousand dollars i would pay it probably like if i had that kind of money Anything to live, you know? Oh, of course. Yeah. You want to like hang on to what, like, what a mess. every bit of life you have left. Yeah. And again, I know I went down like a tangent of like just organ trafficking in general, which I think is very different to what happened to Lynn and Amanda. Mm-hmm. But it was very interesting to learn about and how often people do travel to have these black market surgeries. Yeah. And I think you made a really good point that I think in some of these countries when they do see someone that's quote unquote healthy pass away and they know their country's never gonna have the donors. Yeah. They take it because maybe in their culture it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a million people waiting for these body parts to continue living. That could be that could you know totally be a thing too if you just had a country where you know there are some countries where you have to opt out of being a a donor organ donor. And so most people are. So if you were a doctor in a hospital where it was normally like that You wouldn't think it was weird to take somebody's heart right away and throw it in somebody else's body who's like dying down the hall. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think I think I feel like just take my body parts. I'm I'm not going to go. Yeah. You're not going to do me any good at the end. You know. Yeah. I'm using them. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, there's there's quite a few stories out there about tourists returning home without them. So yeah, I would say stay tuned for another version of this one. Yeah. And like also if I. If I go on vacation and I die naturally, you know, say I get into a zip lining accident or whatever. I don't know if that's naturally, but yes. No, well, no, I guess no. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's accidental. I, I didn't get murdered. Yeah. I didn't, if I didn't get murdered. Yeah. Or whatever. If something just happens to me and then they take my organs, that's that's totally fine and cool with me. Whatever. You know, I, I'm not going to use them. I'm dead. But if somebody specifically 
knocks me out or kills me to take my organs. <laughs> like, that is a fully different situation, and I would be very upset about it from beyond the grave and come back and haunt them for sure. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my God. Could you imagine being haunted by your, <laughs> your like, organ re- re- donor? I, I wouldn't say it's a donor because maybe they didn't don't, they, you know, they didn't donate it, but... yeah organ owner that would be awful especially if you uh if you didn't you know if you had no idea that you had a stolen kidney or whatever and oh, then suddenly could you... you start having like ghosties like that that would be some shit right like you have no yeah. idea your kidney is stolen and you're getting haunted and you're like i don't know why then you go to somebody and they're like oh yeah. you've got someone else's body <laughs> part in you and they want out yeah Dang, that and, would be some shit. And and that's how you know it was true also, because if you just went to somebody who knew nothing about you and they were like, have you had an organ transplant recently? <laughs> You'd be like, oh, shit. This is really happening. Dang. I didn't even think about that part. Well, that's that's a real head scratcher. That's what I thought. I was like, I was just baffled by all of it. Yeah. That's, that's something to do some follow-up reading on, I think. I'll send you some links. I just want to know why did they take that girl's brain? And the only thing I can think is if it was like black market organs for medical or like scientific purposes for research, you know? There is some mention that sometimes it is taken for research. Okay. As long as nobody's eaten no human brains because I don't want to hear anything about that. Or trying to do Craigslist DIY brain transplants in somebody's garage. Yeah, that would be. But I do want to hear about that if that's happening. You know. Well, I'll 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 hop on the uh the the dark web and see if I can find an at home <laughs> brain transplant for you. Yeah. Yeesh. Well, I'm gonna take us away from potential organ trafficking. <laughs> And um, take us to a lighter, happier subject. So this actually lined up correctly this time where we're going to end on a <laughs> on a silly note. Okay. I don't know. I know that you've been out in the woods for the weekend. So I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a good chance that you have. But we're going to talk about it anyway. I don't know. I have not. I mean, in reality, I haven't really looked at the internet besides work emails in like two weeks. Okay. Because I saw it uh, the other day and I was like... Oh, my God. <laughs> like, Phoebe's in the woods. She might not have seen this yet. No, I probably haven't. Okay, I'm excited then. This also is the kind of story where myself included, many people just see the headline and go, oh, my God, that's crazy, and just, like, gloss over and don't really read what happened. So I thought it's a good story to share because of that, but it's also a good story to share because it kind of goes along with <laughs> another story that you had talked about just recently. So, on September 22nd, 2020. Did something happen with dolphins? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of related to that. Um, yes. <laughs> on September 22nd, 2020, so just a few days ago as we're recording this, that was five days ago. Graham Walker, his wife Moira, and their friend Stefan Robinson were aboard their 48-foot yacht called the Promise 3. They were 720 miles into a 1,600-mile journey from Almeramar, Spain, to the Clyde coast of Scotland, which is on the west coast of Scotland for anybody who cares. So they're just off the northwest corner edge of Spain near an area called Cape Finister when at about 7.45 a.m., they feel a sudden jolt. 
Graham thought he had had an equipment malfunction. No, just a pod of dolphins about to attack. (laughs) Well, there were a few moments of confusion when they really weren't sure what was happening. And then off the port aft, they see an orca that had come up to take a breath. But there isn't just one orca, it has a buddy, and the two massive creatures seem dead set on destroying this yacht. Oh no. (laughs) The boat is being battered on all sides and even being bitten at. A third, even larger orca eventually appears and joins in on the attack. I would be so terrified. You have three orcas, like, ramming your boat? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said I have to be on a big cruise ship if if I see whales, because if I'm on anything smaller, I'm going to assume they're going to do this. I mean, I assume this yacht is like a little bigger than the love raft, you know, like a little more glass. It's 48 feet. Yeah, it's that's a decently sized yacht. That would be funny, though, (laughs) the love raft (laughs) getting attacked by Orca. Uh, A BBC article quotes Moira as saying, quote, The boat would literally spin through 90 degrees when the animals came in. Wow. It was as pronounced as that. When they actually bit on the rudder and started shaking the rudder, the wheel was spinning from side to side. You could not have touched it. You would have broken your arms. Mm -mm. And how far were they off the coast at this point? Um, It didn't say, but they're... You know. Because it doesn't matter. It's all terrifying. I probably yeah. if I, even if I was being tossed around by orcas and I could see the land, I'd be shitting my pants. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that they were. I think they were within the distance that you could still see the land. But yeah, like what are you gonna do? Where are you gonna go? Into the orca's mouth? Like nowhere. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And when she says it's spinning like ninety degrees at a time, it's like that gives you a visual of like these orca are big enough that they are, like, throwing this 48-foot yacht around. They're not just, like, bumping into it. They're actually, like, sh- like slamming the boat around in the water. God, it's like they're playing volleyball, the dang thing. Yeah, while also trying to bite it. <laughs> Her husband, Graham, said, quote, The whales would break off, swim away, and then come back toward the boat underwater, breaking the surface for air just before reaching the yacht and then diving below. Large air bubbles appeared beside the yacht as they swam below, changing our direction from side to side. So it's like a nightmare. They know what they're doing. They're messing with you by like swimming away and then swimming back underwater and then popping up to mess with your boat. Like, we're back. Yeah, how eerie to see the bubbles coming yeah. up. Ugh. And then, oh, They're like, oh, we're leaving. No, we're not. Because there's nothing you can do. Like, you really can't do anything. No, you can't. And it's like, even if you had like a, you know, a very large firearm on board, you can't shoot an orca. <laughs> like, Well, there's still even- two others. So even if you do shoot it, you're screwed. You just pissed off the other two. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you'd be in a lot of trouble if you did. Like, no matter what the circumstance was. I don't know what the law really is on that, but I would just assume <laughs> if anything like large from the ocean is coming at you, even if you have an opportunity to kill it, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think it's probably illegal. Yeah. So Graham calls the Maritime Rescue Coordination Center, MRCC, in Cape Finistra, 
to tell them that they're under attack by three crazy orcas and the center is like, okay, turn off your engine and lower your sail and don't worry. They'll get bored and leave you alone They'll after get bored. about 10 minutes. <laughs> They'll get bored. That's exactly what you want to yeah. hear when you're being They'll get bored. taunted yeah, by orcas. Toss around. You're, you're like, gee, I hope these orcas get bored soon. Graham and Moira had been sailing for over 30 years and said that they had never experienced anything like this before. They're getting a little bit worried that all that damage being done to the rudder might actually break a hole through the hull, meaning the boat could flood and sink. Quote, the boat weighs about 12 tons, but these animals were chucking the thing around like it was something else. It wasn't pleasant, Graham said. <laughs> Which, like, is the, the dearest way to put it. It wasn't pleasant. Yeah, I'd have more words than that. <laughs> well, they get their life jackets on and start getting the life raft ready, which... Can, can you, you imagine? imagine? Wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does, the or Let's say the orcas sink their boat, and then you have to get into life yeah. raft for these orcas to continue yeah. messing with you. And now, I mean, I'm sure a little life raft, they would be able to just throw that thing right up in the air. They'd sink you. Yeah, I was thinking that too. How like they would sink you. How dolphins can like drag down their prey and just like uh, drown them. I was thinking that of like, what if you're in the boat and they just drag the whole boat with you on it down? Well, what I imagine is them splashing you with their big tail, putting so much water in the in the yeah. life raft that it sinks. Yeah, or just bumping it and t flipping it over, and like, oh god, imagine being in the water with them. Nope, <laughs> like they're not they're not gonna eat you, but they're gonna mess with you till you die and drown. This is like, would you rather drown or be bitten by a shark scenario? Yeah, you know, oh, having god. flashbacks of that conversation. Yeah, so. The MRCC calls back 15 minutes later, and they're like, hey, did they leave you alone yet? And Graham is like, uh, no, they're definitely still trying to kill us. So now the MRCC has to take some kind of action since they said it would stop in 10 minutes, and now it's been 15, and these yachties are out there getting more anxious every minute. So they say they're going to try to find a bigger boat that's already out there on the water, like, near them to change their course, to go close to the yacht to hopefully scare away the three orcas. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like there wasn't a bigger boat near enough because the attack continued for 45 minutes. <laughs> Can you imagine? It must have been the longest 45 minutes of their life. No, no, no. And this is 45 minutes after they called for help, right? I think it's 45 minutes total. Mm, that's terrifying. Yeah. Like, I imagine it being like, 45 minutes of turbulence, which feels like three hours, so, oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah, a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a lifetime of orca abuse. Especially when you're just, like, looking, you're, like, eyeing this life raft. I'm sure that every minute that passed that these things are still messing with the boat that people thought they were, like, closer and closer to getting in that life raft. Yeah, I bet they did. I bet they did. Yeah. So it's not out of the ordinary for orcas to be in that area where the Promise 3 was sailing. Apparently, it's their tuna hunting ground. Of course, it is out of the ordinary for them to attack boats. Unfortunately for boaters, though, it's becoming less uncommon. According to The Guardian, in late August and early September of this year, so like right now, a Spanish yacht lost part of its rudder to a pair of orcas. A French boat was left with marks on its hull from an orca attack. 
and a UK-bound yacht lost its steering and had to be towed into port after another orca-related incident. All in the same area, just wild. That Like, what is going on with these orcas? Like, they're just bored. <laughs> like, it's bizarre. Don't want to sail through there. No below-deck episode through that area. I was thinking how amazing an episode like that would be though honestly a below oh. deck because you would definitely have like you know everybody on that show is like 23 years old mm-hmm. and the very <laughs> and, and the very some. rich like clientele that's on the boat yeah the clientele would be like so are we gonna go to ibiza or what and they're gonna be like um sorry ma'am we're dealing with an orca situation we're, we're going to try to get you there. And then the orcas, like, start tipping the boat left and right. Yeah. And then one of the clients would be like, are you going to put the slide out? And then Captain Sandy comes out and says, no, that'll be enough. <laughs> Don't call me sweetheart. Uh, um, okay. But it also makes me wonder if, like, if these orcas are attacking all these boats all of a sudden, if it's some kind of, like, COVID-related thing where, like, maybe there's not as many boats going through that area right now, and so the orcas are getting emboldened, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe maybe normally there's more yachts and more sailboats and stuff. I don't know. I mean, but it'd be interesting. Well, I mean, I have read some reports about with the lockdowns that happened with the pandemic that a lot of species of birds and fish and yeah. everything kind of have come back to some habitats because they were finally untouched for a while. Yeah, I just saw that, like, the uh, raccoons in San Francisco are, like, out of control, apparently, which is adorable and scary. Uh, no, they have rabies. <laughs> not adorable. Well, not all Nothing is adorable about knowing a raccoon is out of control. But I... will be in your trash. I love their little hands, though. <laughs> They're like little people hands. I will get you a raccoon puppet, and you look at that, <laughs> and then realize the rest of them are full of disease. Ugh. Yeah, but I want to say it was Thailand who is going to institute one month off for their national oh, uh-huh. parks mm-hmm. because it was such a good thing to have people like just stay away for yeah so long. But they saw a lot of flora and fauna come back, and mm-hmm. they said birds and whatnot. So it, I mean, there's been some benefits. But to your point, yes, yeah. I could see how maybe. The whales are like, yeah, no one's out here anymore. It's our world. Yeah, and then they do see a boat, and they're like, let's mess with it. Let's yeah, it. it's like, like a ball. You guys, go um, back away. Wasn't it also Thailand that had that like giant monkey brawl after COVID? Did you see that? I didn't see that, but no, I feel like I need to Google it. Yeah, definitely do. It was like you can see them all just like running down the street and like going nuts at each other, like like hordes of them. Um, because they're used to being fed by the tourists, and now they have to fight over it. They are very bold. Yeah. You know, they'll take your glasses. They know how to trick you. They'll take your food. They'll punch you in the face like they did to me. Yep. Okay. So, in the case of The Promise 3, Graham, Mora, and Stefan were lucky to still have steering, though it did take them 10 hours to get the boat to land. So, they were driving very slowly and gingerly. Just in case, basically, in case anything was, like, just a little loose and might fall off and cause them to sink. After reaching land, they were better able to assess the damage and found that their fiberglass rudder had a one and a half square foot chunk missing where one of the orcas had bitten it. Uh, Overall, they expected it to take about a week to repair all of the damage. 
But they actually, at the time that I was reading the article, they had not even gotten the boat up out of the water yet. So they don't even know what kind of additional damage might be it's like unseen. Underneath. Yeah. There's like little orca teeth down there on their boat. Yeah. In the Guardian article, they said that the the trio got to land and, quote, had a few drinks. And I don't know what else you would do if your boat was just attacked by massive orcas for almost an hour. I'm sure I would have gotten trashed, passed out, and then dreamt about being attacked by orcas alone in a life raft or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like I would have been, I would have started drinking on the boat when they started circling. Yeah. Well, yeah. As soon as we talked about getting the life raft out, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. okay, hand over the booze. Yeah. I need to cope. Can you imagine? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why you or I will never own a large vessel because... We need somebody else to be sober driving the thing. Yeah. Especially when you consider that afterward it took them ten hours to get to land. Oh no, I would have I would have I would not have been able to get us there. I would have No, yeah. We, by the time we got to land, we would have been eleven hours drunk already. So Yeah, I'd be in the below just probably sleeping yeah. it off. Like <laughs> You'd be in the in the life raft on board just in case yeah, more I mean, life raft on board like i'm doubled up like <laughs> like two life jackets on <laughs> little bag of snacks yep. just in case i'd have one you know the life jacket so you step through it so like when you're swimming you know you wear like <laughs> yeah. a diaper then have one over the head yep with a bottle of like tequila in my arm yeah <laughs> i can see it the trio are just ready to go home, but they really actually haven't decided if they're going to do it by boat or not. And can you really blame them? I'm sure getting on a boat would be like the last thing I would want to do after that. Yeah. Like I said, I imagine it's like really bad turbulence where you're like, I don't think I want to get on that yeah. flight. You know, when they have like an emergency yeah. landing, you're like, I don't think I want to get back on that flight. Yeah. I'm good. I know. I've always thought that like if you were on one of those flights where the landing gear doesn't come down and you have to like circle and circle and circle <gasps> until they figure it out or burn off enough fuel i'm like when like we better be at the destination because if we're somewhere on the way i'm not getting on that second plane like <laughs> that we better hope we're in europe and you can take the train yeah Ugh. that's actually one of my larger fears of air travel is not crashing. No landing gear? Not anything else. Yeah, it's no landing gear. And it's because the fear of like... The belly landing? Yeah. No thanks. Belly flopping onto the runway. Yeah, your belly down. Ugh. You better hope you're on that. What's that beach in... Was it St. Martin when you land on the... Basically on the beach? That's all it asks for at that point. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Sorry to anybody who is afraid of flying. Don't be afraid (laughs) of flying. It's great. (laughs) We're not trying to make it worse. It's, you know... It's fine. It is fine. Anyway, in response to all the recent Orca incidents, the Spanish Transport Ministry actually banned boats of 50 feet or 50 meters or less from sailing near the coast in the area between Cape Priorino Grande and Estaca de Bar Point for a week. I just thought it was hilarious that you were talking about those lovelorn dolphins on our other recent episode, and I mentioned the whales trying to take down the boats. And then here they are. They're proving your point. (laughs) Yeah, a whole string of them. Dolphins and orcas, they all just want to mess you up real good. They are not the friendly creatures of the sea. Yeah, think twice uh, before you go whale watching in a very small boat. Because those whales might be watching you. They're like, I hate them watching me. I'm going to tip the boat. Yeah. So tell, I mean, certainly tell us if you've ever been in a boat that was attacked by 
orca or dolphins or sharks, whatever. Any sea animal yeah. has attacked your boat, attacked you. We want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, please don't tell us if you sold your kidneys in the black market. I'm sure that's something we don't want to talk about. Yeah. But if you know what happens to brains, let us know about that. Yeah. If you are a professional in the field that deals with organ trafficking, let us know about it. Or transplantations in general. Yes, let us know. Yeah. Let us know. We are very interested. That email address to contact us is earlydepartures_podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at earlydepartures_podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. And until then, be safe and depart on time.